in-depth and God-filled conversations with some of the brightest names in contemporary Christian music and worship. This is The Artist Interview with Gordon T. And welcome to this week's episode of The Artist Interview. I'm your host, Gordon T. And it is my absolute pleasure to scour the world of contemporary Christian music and worship to bring some of, well, really, really talented and blessed people. And you know what? This is an interview I've been really looking forward to for a very long time because in just a moment, we've got Bart Millard from Mercy Me. But before he comes, let's hear this track, I Can Only Imagine. That was I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. Welcome, Bart. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute honor, sir. You know what? I, I guess I could rattle off, and I probably should say, you know, you're one of the biggest contemporary Christian music bands out there. You've had phenomenal success. You've got 11 albums out there. You're multi-Grammy nominated. It's a huge, big deal. But at the same time, it's all totally meaningless without Jesus right in the middle of it. And you really impressed me, actually. I, I saw you at an awards show. Um, you probably didn't notice me, but, but, but you, were, you were talking, uh, you, you, you were grateful for the award. But then you said this, and it, yeah, it stuck with me. You said, you know, this, this, this award's cool, but what's really got me is seeing my five children worshipping to reckless love. And I was like, oh, yes, this is so great. So uh, if without Jesus in the middle of everything, uh, awards are absolutely worthless. But you guys deservedly have had such success because your music is great. So um, it would be lovely if you just wanted to, off, maybe off the back of, I can only imagine, and whatever things God puts in your heart, share a bit of your testimony uh, and how uh, you came to follow Jesus and get into music. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I... Um... I grew up outside of Dallas, Texas, and um, my parents divorced when I was three, and um, I had a, a very abusive father most of my life. And so I think music became a huge escape for me. Like um, if anybody's ever seen that we the movie, like I'm at the, the child Bart, or he just he's inseparable with his Walkman. And that was really me. Like I just would get lost in music and and um, just had a very vivid imagination. I think it was like a, a coping mechanism and an escape. And um, man, just something about, I don't know what it was, but honestly, I think um, my favorite band of all time is Electric Light Orchestra. And um, I had to be, I was super young the first time I heard their music. And uh, I, I didn't understand what, I didn't know what worship was at all yet, but I'd never been moved by something. I remember hearing Hey Jude the first time of the Beatles and just like, what is happening to me? And so I was aware of the power of music before I realized what I believe it was made for uh, later on. And, and um, I came to know Jesus when I was about 13 at a church camp um, and um, just uh, didn't understand it all, but knew that something was missing. And um, the way I kind of describe it, you know, because, you know, now I'm 50 and uh, definitely lived a lot of my life and, and, and definitely some more wisdom than I was a 13 year old. And I said, man, I think uh, at first it's like drowning in an ocean. I was thrown a lifesaver and I held on for dear life until over time I started to understand what was taking place, if that makes sense. And I think at that point about when my father passed away, when I was about 19, 
So when I realized I, I wanted to go into ministry of, on on some level, I thought I was going to be a youth minister to church and work with youth. And I tried that for a little bit. And during that time, there was a worship band. I'd never, I grew up in a very small town, so we didn't have any, we didn't have a band at all. And so I moved to Florida, worked at church, and they had a worship band. And I, I fell in love with just working with them. I wasn't even in the band at first. I was just kind of making sure they got together once a week or whatever. But then eventually I did started getting involved and was like, you know, it's not something you say, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, there wasn't a, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a great career move back then to say, I'm going to have earn a living trying to be in a Christian rock band. But I just thought I would work a normal job somewhere and this would be my passion to do on the side. And so in 1994, uh, we started Mercy Me. Uh, I was 20, probably 21. And uh, just and love, just never knew that we'd do it for 28 years so far, but uh, but fell in love with it. And one show led to another and it became our career. And, and it's been an incredible journey to tell people about Jesus and that's and, and realize you know, what I believe the, the, the reason that music exists, like we were, we were created to worship. The only thing that we'll take with us to heaven other than our souls is the ability to worship. And, um, and I think it's a very big deal and, 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 um, yeah. And so it's, man, I, I feel like I have the greatest job in the world. Um, um, it, it, you know, it's, um, my father who was abusive, uh, got cancer when I was in high school and, and, um, and just fell in love with Jesus. And by the time he passed away, when I was a freshman in college, uh, he was my best friend and just, uh, um, my, my life completely changed. And I was like, if, if the Holy spirit can change him, the Holy spirit can change anybody. And it really became the fuel for the fire for me being in ministry all these years. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a crazy life. I can't believe it's been 28 years, but, uh, we're still making music and we figure we keep, we'll keep making music until, People stop caring. Who knows? I, somebody goes, do we think you'll ever break up? I was like, no, we'll just play less shows. I don't think we'll ever break up. We'll just kind of fade. <laughs> so, well, that is an interesting thing, because on Delirious, for example, they were going really well, and then they decided that God called them into other things. And and as I understand it, from when I spoke with Mike, Mike, now I've got to make sure I say his surname right. Mike Schoister, is that how you pronounce it? You're close. You're the closest. It's Schoitzer. The last part, like, like a, yeah, I, I should have got that right. Most people get the first half wrong. So congratulations. You did good. <laughs> That's not too bad for, for an English bloke. I'm trying my best. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, when you came on the show, uh, one of the things that, that we talked about was I think a bit about identity as well and how that all merges in. Can I ask you a bit about how do you try and avoid the, the platform and getting put on a podium that lots of people and they, people are, I'm going to say idolizing. I don't mean literally idolizing, but they've got this impression of who you are and you're on the stage and you're the big guy and they love you and they shout and scream when you get up there and clap you a lot. How do you manage to stay being the person that Jesus calls you to be? Uh, I mean, to be quite honest, I think being in a band is the biggest thing. You mentioned Delirious and uh, we early on before we ever signed, we, we adored them. Like they're one of our favorite bands. The Stoogies, still one of my dearest friends in a, I remember calling Martin and just asking, like, we didn't know what to ask. We were so new at this. We were just like, how do you keep it together? How do you function? And and had great advice. And one of the things I think Martin or Stu, I can't remember which one said it, was like, I don't know how solo artists do it when all of your friends, all the people around you are on payroll or whatever. You have a lot of yes people. And he's like, being in a band is different because 
you have four or five other guys that if something's not in sync, if something's not lining up, you get knocked around pretty quickly. And so there's definitely a built-in accountability that I I genuinely couldn't live without. And that's not just on the road at this point. Uh, that's in my everyday life. I mean, the way, I mean, we're there for each other, the way we parent and, you know, making sure we take time out for our wives and stuff. It's like, just, and it, it's not like, Hey, you're doing it wrong. It's just encouraging each other. This is what's important. And um, so, I mean, that's the, that's the, uh, the simplest answer is I couldn't do it without being in a band and I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Um, and, you know, I think we're one of, the, I don't know if we're one of the few, but people are like, how do you do it so long? It's like, we genuinely like each other. We're best friends. We always have been. And, uh, and we're all on the same page about, you know, we spent a lot of years telling people to quit sinning and try to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. And we just decided, you know what, we'd rather just show people who they are in Christ. It's way more fun and uh, and show them something that's desirable and not try to scare the hell out of people, to, <laughs> to be honest. And and uh, just all of us being on the same page has been um it's been a dream come true. And it's 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 truly the front, the first line of defense when it comes to keeping in check and, st- and reminding yourself who you are. And we're just a bunch of grown 12-year-olds. We're children. We're goof-offs. And, <laughs> and uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. So cool. So um, so with regards to, and you mentioned the movie. Now, some of our listeners, maybe they've tuned in for the first time. They, they've never even heard the name Mercy Me before even. And, you know, right. uh, for anyone who's tuned in and not heard the name Mercy Me, just be assured you'll probably hear a lot more Mercy music if you stay tuned to this station. Right. <laughs> but, but what I would like to say is, is the movie is called I Can Only Imagine. Now, not many people have a film all about their upbringing and stuff. So how on earth did it come about? Why did it get made? And what's, what's it done for you and for other people? Well, uh, somebody approached us. Eight, the movie came out in, I believe, 2018. And uh, someone approached me eight years before and wanted to make a movie. And I thought they were crazy. I was like, nobody wants to see this movie. And, and they... Uh, kept asking about my story and stuff and said, we want to do this. And I really kept saying, well, good luck with that. Very sarcastically. I knew it'd never happen. And, and at about once a year, I get a letter going, we're still trying. And I was like, all right, cool. And, uh, and then that, that person, that company, they sold their company and just thought it went away. And they actually kind of passed the story over to the Irwin brothers who actually made the movie. And that was about two to three years before. And it started to pick up steam and, and it was, um, I I always say I said yes the whole way, but then when it became a reality, I got a little nervous because, you know, there's no manual about, hey, this is what it's going to feel like when you put your whole life on a big screen and, you know, things you've tried to bury for most of your life. And um, and so it was it was very surreal. There were so many uh, emotional moments of when I first got the first script, when I saw them film, when when I saw the first edit, when I watched it in front of a crowd, these were all emotional kind of milestones and. And it was funny because I was always nervous about like, what if it's a bad movie? Because I have to believe that all the bad movies in the world, surely there were people there thinking it was going to be a good movie from the beginning, you know? And so I thought maybe I'm too close to this. Like, how do you know? And, and, um, and uh, the first, I was always nervous. And the first time we watched it in front of an audience, uh, I was so wrapped up in it being good or not that the irony is I lost track of the ministry side of it completely, like uh, completely lost track of it. It was just so worried. Like, are they laughing at jokes or whatever? And do they, I remember leaving the first screening and this, this man wouldn't leave the theater and they had, they were trying to get the ushers and security and stuff. And he said, I'm trying to get my son on the phone and he's in tears. And he's like, I need to talk to him right now. And he goes, I have to settle these things. And I was like, that was the first, I was like, Whoa, like this is, 
it's obviously bigger than me, but this just got really heavy. And that was when the ministry side kicked in where one, I kind of didn't worry about if the movie was good anymore. If it's impacting people, that's all that matters. And, and we got a huge response. So it was, you know, it was, it was crazy how well it did in the States. Um, uh, it was, uh, nobody predicted that. And just the response has been overwhelming and it's been really cool. Like our career, you know, when imagine, came out in in 2002 i believe it blew up on like mainstream radio here and everything and we kind of went through this season of just working ourselves to the bone trying to do all of these mainstream shows and then our our christian tour and and there were parts of that i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy and then you know 17 years later or whatever um it happens again on a bigger scale with the movie and this time it was like we were, uh, you know, a little more prepared to one, just to slow down and enjoy it, learn to say no to some things. And then like, man, you, we, you know, we thought this was past us. And so to take advantage of it and focus in on the ministry part of it and, and not, you know, necessarily work ourselves to the bone, but just see lives changed. And so it, it's, it's had a huge impact on our, on our lives and our careers. It's been a, you know, that song has just, is just, you know, continually the, the, cra- the crazy part about the movie and the story, for those who don't know, is my father passed away with cancer and um, and man who loved Jesus at that time. And he had a very didn't make much. He raised me and my brother and um, and he had this retirement and he told me, he goes, when I'm gone, you can either take this lump sum, the whole thing, or I'm going to spread it out to about $600 a month for 10 years. And he decided that because he knew I would spend it all in about a month if I got the money. So I didn't have a choice. Well, and he, and the last thing he said was, but regardless what happens, I'll figure out a way to keep taking care of you after I'm gone. And he'd always say stuff like that. Well, I, 10 years later, I'm married. We're, I just, uh, we just gave birth to our first son. I just came home with him. I'm doing an interview like this on the phone. I'm holding my newborn. I'm on, I'm on hold waiting to start the interview. My wife walks in and says, here's your dad's last check Whoa. after 10 years. And and that's a, you know, I don't care how much you make to lose that much in a month. is a big deal, sure. especially a newly wet, new baby. I remember just freaking out on hold and the DJ comes on. He's like, Hey man, let me be the first to congratulate you. I can only imagine just went number one for the first, his first time. And I started sobbing. Cause I'm thinking about this song, you know, written because of my dad and what he said about, I'll take care of you after I'm gone. And, and it, the guy probably thought I was really emotional about a number one song, which was cool, but I had to explain to him everything that was happening, this first child. And, and it's crazy that, you know, still to this day, I'm 50 and it's, it's truly We've had success and other songs that have meant stuff, but that song continues to change our life on a regular basis, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's it's a superb song. It really genuinely is. And the film, if you haven't seen the film, I can only imagine it's currently available, at least in the UK, on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. And I would really recommend, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it straight away. And it's the sort of film that actually you can take non-Christians to and they will also find it great. So I actually watched it uh, just the other day um, with my father-in-law who's in his 80s, uh, not a Christian, and he said that was a really good film. So, um, so, and, wow. and he's just, he's doing an alpha course at the moment. So that's exciting. Listeners, pray for my father-in-law. That'll be wow. cool. So Absolutely. anyway, his name is David. So everyone get praying for David. Right. Okay. Sorry. I'll, yes. I'll stop my personal bit. Right. <laughs> so, so, but that, the film is absolutely extraordinary. Can you tell me a bit about feedback that you've had, though, from individuals? Are there a few standout stories of people who've contacted you after seeing the movie? One of the coolest stories that we heard about was um, 
and I don't I don't know if it's it's kind of the legal system here in the states, and I don't know if it, if it translates because, but it's there's a a, a judge that works with juvenile uh, offenders, and um, and she had this teenage kid that has come through the system several times, and to the point to where uh, has abusive abusive father, a missing mother that never shows up. The family wouldn't even come anymore, and so she would got got fed up and she was she was really upset and demanded that one of the guardians would come and so the father showed up the worst of them and and they she had to keep breaking up fights in the courtroom where they're yelling at each other so like that and she she left this voicemail on our managers at her manager's office and she kept saying i'm probably going to lose my my license or what do we call it and she said in the middle of it she slammed her fist down and said we're going to take a recess and the two of you with police officers, you're going to go and watch I Can Only Imagine an empty theater, and you're going to come back when the movie's over. And she sent those two away. And, uh, and wow. she was telling, she kept going, "I'm going to lose my, I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to get kicked out for saying this." And and they came back, uh, and just uh, the dad was in tears, the son was in tears, and and the dad was like, "That was my childhood with my father," and 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 um to the point where he kept begging, he's going to make it right. And so she gave them a temporary window where she released the son into his father's custody and had to report back. And, uh, man, about a year after the movie, she, we heard this like a month or so after the movie, a year later, she said that they, the son had moved in and that him and his father were doing incredibly well. And, uh, and just a crazy story. I'm hoping they're still doing well. It's been a, a few years now, but you know, yeah, she was like, I, I've never done anything like that. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. And she goes, but it was just such chaos in the courtroom. And uh, she sent like five or six police officers. They cleared out the theater and made them watch it, just the two of them alone. And so that's a pretty insane story. And we got to meet the judge later and, and we met the son. Wow. And it was really cool. That that, I, that is an amazing story. I tell you what, I, I, it's not a guaranteed solution watching that film. But I tell you what, if you, if you've got if you've got people who might be struggling with their relationships, it certainly makes you think long and hard. But what a what a fruit from that! That's actually fantastic. Now we've got we've got another track to to play from you. It's called Then Christ Came. Can you tell us all about the track? Why did you write it? Uh, what 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 do you feel about it when you sing it? Uh, and what do you feel Jesus is doing with it? That's our, our our current single here in the states, and we um that song was um we our our album before this newest one was called Inhale Exhale, and it was made during the pandemic, and um we thought we had it finished, was about to release an album, the album, and then the pandemic hit, and so we couldn't tour, so we didn't release it. End up writing about thirty or forty more. We just kept writing songs. I'm this cabin, the studio I'm in. We spent so much time here just to stay sane, and that song came about um. And, um, man, I don't know. I, it was just something about, um, I had written down the phrase, then Christ came, I don't know, a few years ago. And there was something about it. It's like, you can, <laughs> you can describe the most chaotic thing you can come up with in any circumstance in life. And then to end it with the phrase, then Christ came truly changes it all it changes the it's like the cheat code for the hardest video game it changes everything and i love the power of those three words and so uh uh sat with a friend of mine named david leonard and we started writing um and just um i don't know it was just it was a lot of times like we'll start writing a song and i can't explain why i get incredibly emotional but if i do i know to hold on to that that i can't decide what other people like but if it touches me then that's that's good enough and and uh, I just we spent two days and didn't get anything, and then we fell in that chorus, 
And I just remember just, I don't know if it's because it was two days of felt like getting nothing done, but when it kind of resolved into that phrase, it felt like an exhale, like just a breath of fresh air and, and I just really got emotional about it. And, um, and, um, and yeah, and I thought, man, if I needed this and I can't even put words to why I needed it right now, other people do. And I'm sure coming out of the pandemic helped, you know, and just what we have gone through. Yeah. And so uh, I couldn't, couldn't piece it together. Right. Couldn't get the verses right. And reached out to my friend, Phil Wickham. And we were talking about some other song. I said, man, I've got this one that I can't seem to solve. And he said a piano in two seconds and wrote some of the verses. And I was like, that's it. That's exactly what it was. And and so, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, it's sometimes the most important thing we need is the, the simplicity of a message of this is what I was. And because of Jesus, this is what I am now. And I think it's the thing we need to be reminded of probably most uh, more than anything. And uh, and that's what the song has done for me and hopefully for other people. Then Christ came, changing everything. He took my sin and shame away. Now Then Christ Came by Mercy Me, and I'm so pleased that Bart Miller is still with us here for the artist interview. Bart, thanks for sharing from your heart. That's it's it's encouraging. It's fantastic to hear what God's been doing with you, and that song's fantastic too. It would be lovely if at this point you'll be happy to pray for listeners. Yeah, I would love to. Jesus, thank you for this moment, and uh, thank you for the megaphone that you've given us to to be able, just for the opportunity to speak to people in the UK and different parts of the world, God. And I just pray that that, uh, wherever we may be, that we are reminded that you still sit on your throne, that you are in control, and that there's nothing too big for you, and that we... The second that we understand who we are in Christ, that we understand that you do remain in control, that we can actually just breathe in deep and exhale and 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 just lay it all down god that we could find rest and peace of the maybe the two most important words in my life right now and uh and god also pray for david that that david would just feel the spirit on him and that he would be reminded of of who you are god and and how you make the sweetest parts of life so much sweeter and i just thank you for this time god and just uh i can't believe i get to talk about you for a living (laughs) and um and just uh, pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, Bartman, I just prayed for my father-in-law as well. So <laughs> thanks very much. Well, now, if you're at home and you're wondering, who is this Jesus that Barton Gordon are talking about? Just want to encourage you, if you're in the UK, get along to www.findachurch.co.uk because there are many great churches that would love to help you know more about God's love. And if you're listening on one of our partner stations worldwide, just contact the studio and say you want to find a great church because they'd love to help you out. Okay, so Bart, you know what? You've, you've said a little bit about your history, a little bit about your past. You haven't mentioned your wife very much, and she's in the movie. Tell you what, yeah. that pulls at the heartstrings as well. So <laughs> you've been married I'm, for 25 years now, is that right? That's correct, yeah, so, 25. So have you, have you already celebrated or not yet? Yeah, we. it was November 1st, and so uh, it was crazy. November 1st, 25 years, and then 
my oldest son, Sam, got married right after Thanksgiving. And then I turned 50 December 1st. And so we're actually, we just celebrated kind of all of that in the last couple of weeks. And so we waited till the Christmas chaos cleared. And then we we uh, found time to be, to enjoy that together. That is very cool. What did you do for your wife for your anniversary? We uh, we actually, we went to New York and uh, she wanted to see a couple of musicals. And so we snuck away for a weekend and just, um, and, and, just laid low and we ate a lot of food and watched a lot of Broadway musicals and pretty much whatever she was wanting to do without kids, we did it. <laughs> that is very cool. So my wife and I just celebrated 30 years. Oh, congrats. And we also just went and saw loads of musicals. So what, what did you see? Well, uh, we saw our favorite, the one that blew my mind was a uh, music man with Hugh Jackman. And, um, and it was stunning. I've actually seen it three times just, uh, blown away and we saw mr saturday night with billy crystal and um and then a couple other kind of off-broadway ones but music man was the highlight man it was it was stunning i i was in it when i was in high school so we thought let's go check it out and then I, hamilton was my favorite but uh music man is is that performance of hugh jackman was stunning oh okay i haven't seen it yet so at some time oh, yeah. maybe i'll get to it. it's good re good recommendation okay uh, and who is your favorite um artist if you're going to listen to music i'm going to guess that you don't always go and say i'm going to worship to a bit of mercy me if you want to have a time of worship who, who do you put on oh man um man I, I honestly at this point like phil wickham is one of my favorites which is really cool because uh i started a record label years ago and phil was one of the first artists that i got to sign and so we've been friends for a very long time and and just to see the music he's doing now and he has one of the most stunning voices i've ever heard and so i've spent a lot of time with his music lately and so i think uh yeah a lot of props to phil right now yeah he's he's, he's great everyone likes phil wickham yeah, don't they yeah. so and he's, he's just got a new a new single just out recently as well yeah. um so can i ask a question about you right because you get on stage in front of literally thousands of people what's the biggest size audience you've ever played to uh, the biggest is probably we did a Billy Graham crusade in Central Park. It was about 180,000. It's probably the biggest. Okay, that's that's pretty huge. I'm guessing you don't get nervous anymore when you go on stage. I guess you're excited. Is that fair? I do get excited. I get nervous when I w with new songs that I'm not familiar with perfectly. Like it's not it's not like a it's not like second nature yet. But now I don't crowds don't make me nervous. It's funny because some people like it's a phobia for them to get in front of crowds and. For me, crowds are like the safest because like one on one like this or in a room with someone is way more nerve wracking for me because people can respond. They have an opinion. They can talk back, which I love. But I'm, I find myself the most vulnerable on stage because I can say whatever I want. And um, and, you know, we're not getting heckled or whatever. But like I find myself being saying things that I wish I would have said to my oldest son a month ago. And it's almost like this confessional because, you know, I'll start talking and just and it's. I don't know if that makes sense. Even there's so many people, there's like this, this barrier where they can't get to you. You know, it's like, you know, if somebody asks if you want a hug, that's not going to happen. And so I can just kind of speak my piece and, and, and kind of process the emotions right there. And, and uh, people are like, man, like somebody asked me, how do I turn the waterworks on? I'm like, not turning them on. I'm literally thinking about these things for the first time. And it's something about almost confessing or saying it out loud that it just, it, it may be the first time that I vocalize whatever I'm processing. And, and so I've, it, there's a, there's a safe space for me on stage, whether it's a thousand people or a hundred thousand that, you know, sometimes I forget that they're there when I go into those places, but it's a, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I've, I've, I've always felt comfortable there. I'm most nervous when something technically goes wrong on our end or, 
you have to adjust and just get a knocked out of your rhythm. That kind of stresses me out, but I try not to go in worrying that that's going to happen. That, that makes sense. But go, go in very cool, trusting Jesus, it will go well. That, yeah. that, that sounds yeah. sensible because he's always gone before you. So, um, and, yeah. and I think he wants it to go well, generally speaking. Right. right. And it, yeah. And if something goes wrong and there's, we try to, we say there's usually a reason that, you know, it's not just a, just an accident that God's in that too. Has there been an instant when you've been on tour when something's gone wrong, but it's maybe a funny thing that, that God may be put right as well. Yeah. We've had songs cause you know, we, we do a lot of songs and there's a lot of programming and tracks and stuff that we'll play to. And we've had, you know, the computer crash and stuff. And, and it's not like we can't play the song without the tracks. It just gives a fuller sound, but you know, trying to set it up and it, and it just wouldn't work to where we're like, let's just sing something else that we haven't done in years. And, and ministry, a worship time would take place that we didn't see coming. Those kind of things happen a lot. It's funny. You can do the best show possible and people like it just fine, but then you can have everything go wrong and think, I need to give them their money back. It's the worst thing ever. And it never fails. People come and say, tonight was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And God moved this way or whatever. And and it's just, it never fails. Like somebody will say it and, and, and you're, you know, I'll lose my voice. And I had laryngitis so bad that I couldn't speak it, it tightened up on me after like a second or third song and kept thinking we should just call it a night but every song we would start the crowd would sing every word for me literally like just get them started and i would just watch them sing and it was one of the most amazing nights of my life and and uh, although i was just stressing like this is terrible this is terrible and then you realize something much much bigger is happening and so i don't count on that every time i still stress out about laryngitis but that <laughs> night was like was epic awesome now you talked about being on tour and you didn't say when you're coming to the UK. Now I know that you probably haven't got an instant plan for this, but I would like to just heckle you for a moment and say, look, there's a lot of people in the UK who'd actually quite like to be here. Why haven't you come? Man, we say it every year when we have our big business meetings, we're like, we want to go to the UK. We've gone and recorded Abbey Road like three or four times over the years. And so we've been there, but not to do any shows, just to put strings and stuff on album stuff. And we've, We've wanted to so badly and Ren Collective keeps saying they want to make a they want to they want to bring us out and and hit the whole island. So I'm like, hey, man, just say the word. So we keep trying. It's the hardest part is with all the kids. It's like um, uh, it's just how long are we away? Because we just we we're so protective of being at home. It's like if they say, hey, we we're going to go three weeks in the UK. We're like, mm, that's too long. And if we take our whole family, then. There's not enough room on the island. It's just going to cost too much money for us to get there. So, so that's the dilemma. But yeah, we're getting our kids are getting older, and it's coming back up that we want to. We used to, we don't travel out of the states very much, and we want to really badly. All right, so I'll take that as a. You'd like to at some stage, no guarantees. Tell you what, when it happens, you'll be the first yeah. to know. How about and, that? That's, that sounds yes. reasonable. And big church festival, that's probably one of the ones you've got to hit yes. as well. Yes. So, and yep. Rend when they were here not that long ago were fantastic, I should say. So, um, okay. Uh, I'd like to ask you about the Bible. What's your favorite story? Oh, favorite story. And um, why? Man, uh, I, I, gosh, my favorite. I know the one that I've been dwelling on and um, is a story of just when Simeon's waiting for Jesus to appear and waited for hundreds of years and, and, um, and just the idea of, you know, them coming into the temple with the infant Jesus and, and and Simeon knowing instantly and and just a you know I've tried to write songs about it just about him just like laying eyes on the Christ the Savior that he had to have doubted after hundreds of years that if it was going to happen or not and then to finally see it in his and he was like 
he, all he said was, God, take me now. Like, I'm ready to go. I've seen him because, you know, you promised me I wouldn't until I've seen him. Now take me. And there's it's so the two parts of that is to lay eyes on Christ and to know that it's him, but then to to so desperately want to be with God that it's like, great, I've seen him. I'm ready to go. It's like, man. It's both sides of that are really just amazing. It's like, what did you go through to where you're like, take me now? Like how many loved ones, the hundreds of years that passed on and to where you're like, okay, I've held him. Let me come home. That's just an amazing story to me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> that, that is, yeah. I've never thought of it before, actually. <laughs> it, is. it is amazing. So uh, for people listening who maybe don't know much about the Bible and they're thinking, well, the Bible, not, not, not really read that. The Bible's split up in lots of different books. If you pick up a Bible, you can read in the corner what, what the different book that it is, so the different sections. What book would you recommend for somebody who's never read the Bible? Because obviously you could start at the start and read the whole way through, but yeah. where would you say a great place to start is? I mean, for me, just because it's all about identity and understanding who we are in Christ, I would say the book of Romans for me. And Romans and Hebrews, or I go to that book nonstop of just even just taking bits of just like, you know, this is who you are in Christ. This is, you know, and just, yeah, I spend the most time, I think, in Romans these days. And I reference that a lot and tell people about it. So I'm trying to think if I just read it from front to back, you definitely get pieces from it. But yeah, that's like a, that's like a, 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 it's vital in my life to how much I go through Romans. Okay. And you got, you got five kids. That's that's quite a lot. And uh, what what ages are they? You said they're growing up a bit now. Uh, my eldest Sam is twenty one, and then Gracie is eighteen. Charlie is uh, sixteen; will be seventeen next month. Um, Sophie is fourteen, and Miles will be twelve next month. Okay, so a little bit of a spread, but well, with five yeah. kids, it got to be a bit of a spread. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> with regards to Jesus, so so they, they were worshiping to to reckless love. Um, is it something that they find easy having a dad who's sort of a famous Christian, or is it a bit like being pastor's kids and it's a bit more complicated? That's a great question. I, th- I think it's yes and in both. Like, um, uh, um, it's, it's um, you know, we've, it's something I've, I've, I've wrestled with because I know kids that are preacher's kids and, and I'm just trying to figure out what, and my understanding of that from dear friends that are fathers or pastors was like, you know, my dad would give it all to the church. And they would come home and just didn't have any more to give. And we would always see him doing it for everybody else. But and for the dad, the pastor, he's thinking the only place I can turn it off and be myself and just be quiet is at home, which is a hard thing because you still want to be a, there for your children and your wife. And and so being aware of that, seeing it through my friends who have dads as pastors, I'm no different. I'm basically they are pastors kids because I'm doing the same thing. I'm 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 always have the switch on for everybody else and I will come home and I don't come home and become mean or whatever, but I just kind of veg out or, you know, or won't find time to do things with them, you know, years ago. And so that's, we've changed everything because of that. Like we only do about 50 shows a year because we want to be home. We, um, you know, and it hasn't always been that way. And so, uh, and yeah, I, it's funny because I always worry when I'm with them or if I'm at church with them, I don't see them worshiping, but then like, it's like that night, for example, um, um, you know, it's, I don't get to see them, you know, in front of other artists, especially in the crowd. And, and that night when reckless love came on, I just saw like where this come from, these kids genuinely worshiping like they would at church when they're with their friends or whatever that I may not see. 
And it moved me, man. It was like, because they're not, they're not worshiping. I can only imagine they've heard that they're, you know, they're not, it's different with our music. They like our music, but it's different. But to see them kind of in their environment, like, oh, this is what they're listening to. And this is how they react. Ooh, it melted my heart, man. And it was funny because I was, I thought if we go up, like I prepared myself to say that thinking that I can say that. And the second I said my five kids, I lost it. I'd like, I can't talk out loud of my kids without becoming very emotional. And it was just a, it was a beautiful night. I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, well, it was. It genuinely, I, th- I think you can find it on YouTube somewhere as well, maybe. I'm, I think so, yeah. So it might, yeah. might, might worth people getting a look. Um, after they've gone and seen, I can only imagine the movie as well. Uh-huh. So um, and what area of your life, right? Jesus is always helping us to become more Christ-like. And I'm just interested, what area of your life at the moment do you feel Jesus is trying to stretch you and grow you in? Oh, hands down, uh, just a, a parent and a husband. Um, it's and it's not, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm like, it's, it's funny because like I compare it with my father and it's better than that. But it's like just being more, uh, just more present, especially as a parent. Well, no, with both really. And, um, and it's, and it's not necessarily telling myself to be more present. It's, it's, I actually have a desire and like I, I, my happy place is to, is to be present with them. And so, and so it's, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I'm trying to, I'm kind of past me making myself do it. Now I'm just trying to enjoy the moment and relish every second that I get uh, to the point where I may be annoying to my kids sometimes. Cause I want to hang out too much, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's yeah. been the, that's been the most beautiful thing. And that a big part of that, to be honest with you for here was during the pandemic, we were fortunately able to stay healthy and, um, but we were out of work for like 17 months, just home, not knowing if we'd ever do live shows again. We didn't know. And during that time, I realized, uh, I hope I never get this moment again. I mean that from not having another virus is what I meant. But, uh, you know, the fact that my kids are at this age and that there are days where the most important thing I will do that day is figure out what flavor ice cream me and Sophie are going to eat that day. It, it, there was something beautiful in that. And we, and about halfway through, just, I realized, man, like just became grateful. Like we're healthy and I'm going to cherish this time that I'm home. And it's different than going on vacation. When you go on vacation, you come home, you know, work is backed up. You've got to catch up, you know, the, everything moves forward, but the whole world pressed pause. There was nothing we were waiting to catch up to afterwards. Like, and, and, and we were all in the same boat. And so it was like, well, when it kicks, when it starts back up, we'll just all start again. So I stopped worrying about it, enjoying my family. And I, it's, I will never, I will cherish that the rest of my life. And in my, hopefully my grandkids will hear stories about when the world stopped and, and hopefully just the joy we had being, cause you know, people talk about being lonely. There were seven people in my house. Like we were anything but lonely. It was chaos. And it's like a circus. You don't want to leave right in the middle of the pandemic and always had something to do. And, and I'm grateful for it. And it definitely changed our priorities to where it's still the most important thing. And the hardest part now is we have to go back to work and just trying to make sure we carve out what we had, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you tasted something good. And then you yep. want to keep on doing it. That, Absolutely. That is great. Uh, have you ever heard the course Love After Marriage? I don't think I have. Okay. I just sort of give you a little recommendation. You mentioned working on marriage. Okay. Love After Marriage um, is an absolutely excellent marriage course. I've done, I've done quite oh, a few great. marriages. Uh, marriages? No, I haven't. I've done quite a few marriage courses, I should say. Get that one right. Uh, marriage courses. And, and Love After Marriage has been just absolutely extraordinary. So I'd recommend that. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'll check it out. It might be a nice 25th uh, wedding anniversary extra 
present there you for go, your yeah. life. Okay, so we're going to have to wrap up in just a moment. I do appreciate that. But um, I'd just like to ask one more question for me, which is going to be, okay. if you guys, the whole of your band, had to get raptured, but oddly, every other CCM artist just was still here. It doesn't make any sense to me that. Don't get your theology from it. Who would you like to donate all of your fans to? Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird because then, I mean, I'm saying uh, some reason I'm saying they're getting left behind. I'm not sure why, but uh, <laughs> a great question. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I would do. I would donate them all to our dear friend. And uh, we believe that Christian music is in good hands because we love his heart so much. Probably Micah Tyler. Oh, I like yeah. Micah a lot. He's one of he's been we've taken him out so many times and just love him so much. And whenever we can go on tour, if there's a spot, we'll we'll try to bring him out and uh and that's like, yeah, we would help that guy out any way we could. Micah is a lovely bloke and also got one of the funniest stories about ministry. In fact, I think it I think you're involved in that story. He was invited to come out to be with you on a show and he turned it down. It was the very first time he turned it down to do to do a youth yes. work gig. And then and then right at the end when it's cool for ministry, kid at the front throws up. You must know the story is like, this is oh, awful. Yeah, yeah. he reminds us of like, yeah, he's like, I, I think I made the wrong. Yeah, he, yeah, but he, but he was honoring his commitments, which was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So Bart, thanks for all you've shared. Thanks for spending time with this. It's been absolute joy. Absolutely, man. I've enjoyed it. Thank uh, you. It would be great though, if you could introduce uh, your last track for us to not worship you. Why do you write it? What's it all about? Yeah, this will be our next single, I believe. Um, and it's kind of a weird title, but we, um, uh, it all came from, I don't know about there, but like this whole deconstructing of your faith is kind of like very popular right now in the States. And I have friends that have kind of gone through or processing just whatever they're going through and, and it's, it's, and had conversations with them. And, um, and this would, this song kind of came out of a conversation the band had together when we're in the studio about how, man, it's like, I just I, th I think I understand why it's so important to be still and know that he is God to stop and to rest and and to be reminded, uh, you know, whether it's communion and do this in remembrance of me. And the whole idea was, man, if if we're to that point, have we just forgotten what Jesus has done to us, the change that got us here in the first place? And and, you know, because I'm I have no problem kicking the tires of my faith and asking hard questions, but it doesn't mean I'm tearing it apart. If, uh, you know, the truth will remain truth, whether whether I feel like it is or not. And and I just and so that the whole idea of that song was, oh, right. This is how big you are. This is why. And so and it just comes down to the question of if this is everything you are, then who am I to not worship you? And that's where the title came from. And it's just a, with worship being such a huge part of music right now, just there's something, I don't know, ironic about having a title called To Not Worship You. We thought it might be intriguing enough for people to stop and see what it's about. You're the one, you're the one who makes mountains move. Stars will not shine unless you tear them to, tear them to. That was To Not Worship You by Mercy Me. And thank you so much to Bart Millard for joining us for the artist interview. What a cracking guy. What amazing stories. If you haven't seen it, do make sure you go and check out I Can Only Imagine, the movie on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm a bit lost for words. He's so cool. His music's so great. 
But there are also loads of other amazing artists and interviews for you to listen to with great stories and great music. Just search up The Artist Interview on your favourite podcast platform. I'm Gordon T, your host, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of The Artist Interview. God bless you. You've been listening to The Artist Interview, a Hope FM podcast. Find us at hopefm.com forward slash The Artist Interview.